Chapter Three of the Will and the Way Stories. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Will and the Way Stories by Jesse Benton Fremont. Chapter Three, A Picnic Near the Equator. Panama in eighteen forty nine was for the time overrun by Americans. They came in great crowds from the Atlantic side while there was no transportation to carry them away from this ancient Spanish city on the Pacific. The first steamer to San Francisco could not return because crew, firemen, engineers, and all deserted her. And who could expect men to reship and take common wages for hard work when gold was to be had just for the picking up? So there the incoming Americans continued to bank up for many months until some order of travel was gained. The crowd suffered from every discomfort. Many were ill, and many died, from the climate and the unwholesomeness living, and the depressing feeling that they were like shipwrecked people who watched in vain for a sail. The few who were better prepared for the delay contrived to lighten the heavy time. Among these was our government commission for running the boundary line between Mexico and California. Delays seemed natural in government work. I knew most of these. The commissioner himself, who had married a near relative of mine, thought I should have change of ideas from the long waiting to get to California, where I was to meet Mr. Fremont, and he knew what a hard trial this first separation from home was to me. To please him in this kindly-meant effort, I consented to go on a picnic he had planned, though it did not smile on me to face an outing in such dazing light and heat. We were to make a very early start and sail across the bay to the island of Toboga, twelve miles from the city of Panama, have our late breakfast on the beach, visit a pleasant American family of his friends who had taken refuge there from the overcrowded town, then return in the cooler hour about sunset. And as there was a full moon, it would be all right, even if we were a little late. This was a fine plan, only it omitted two facts of nature which govern water parties, wind and tide. The gentlemen were inland western men, and I was in my first knowledge of the sea. The submissive-looking polite natives who manned the boat did not enlighten the Americans who thought they had only to order and get what they ordered. The Indians knew their own interests too well to enlighten the foreigners. Dickens tells of his hurrying to a station and calling to the slow cabman to drive faster. Drive for your life! When Cabby answered, he was driving for his life. Any way for my living, and if I go faster, you can cut off my time. The patron made sure of his party, and as the wind was fair, we had a delightful quick sail in the early morning freshness, and were at our picnic place within two hours. Toboga rises like a high green pyramid from the blue sea, a small conical island, feathery with coconut trees and tall palms near the water, then comes the pineapple growth and everywhere interspersed are the lovely feather-like yellow bloom of the mimosa and other flowering trees of violet pink and yellow blooms we landed on a little smooth and hard beach 
surrounded by tall pink-blossomed oleanders. The palms and coconuts threw some shade on the pale sands, and here rugs were spread and the baskets unpacked, and we breakfasted by the rippling water's edge. In the beauty and freshness of the place, we all found it had been an excellent idea to come. After a little, we walked the short distance through the Indian village with its small church, bright from the mother-of-pearl shells encrusted over its outer walls and roof, to where we met the really nice family we were to visit, in an ugly but clean new frame house, as yet free from big spiders and the many insects of the tropics. Travelers like ourselves, they were very glad to see white people and talk of the possible chances of getting away, with men well informed as to all possibilities, on any regulated travel we could not count. Everything was upheaved and thrown into chaos by this craze of gold. There were some children as well as several ladies in that family, and to them we sent over the abundant remains of our feast. There had been an absurdly large supply of fresh and tinned things and wines. They had been living on scant and unpalpable rations, for the Americans had descended like a plague of locusts and cleaned off all Panama supplies. Our tins of biscuit and cake and sweetmeats were as welcomed as the meats. We were glad to please them, and we were to be back in town in easy time for dinner. Then, with many kind goodbyes, we went back to make our start. The men were lying about quietly smoking and no sign of readiness. Not one of the men of our party knew Spanish. The patron spoke his native dialect, Spanish, which is so mixed with Indian, and so confusing from their never pronouncing the L's or S's, that it is hardly comprehensible, even to one knowing Spanish, and his small stock of English was accented in a most bewildering way. Some instinct had made me not tell that I knew Spanish, and for this I was glad enough afterwards. I did not like the manner of these men, the head man, or any. There had been a complete and sudden dropping of the grave, ceremonious politeness and deference of the starting, changing to a rather noisy chatter and to a general air of chuckling amusement, which they knew perfectly well was not suitable when with employers and superiors a manner they would not have ventured on with Panama gentlemen. Now the patron told the commissioner, in answer to his surprised questioning, it was no use to go back until after the moon rose. Then the wind would rise, and the tide would help the boat in. Or, seeing this was very unwelcome, there would be a right wind early in the morning at sunrise. Remember that so near the equator there is no interval. It is day or it is night, no twilight at all. The gentleman felt something wrong in the man's manner, and at once decided that there must be no night excursion, that I must stay with the ladies we had just left, and they would return and camp on the beach. Which they did. Angry enough at not having been warned of the hours of wind and tide, but quite helpless. There was no other possible way to get back. It was obligatory to make the best of a bad situation, 
and equally necessary not to betray to the patron their want of confidence in him they were not used to managing boats but they were used to managing men the pleasant women were both glad and sorry to have me back but the glad predominated and they were very hospitable and walked back with me before sunrise to the boat which this time was ready a long shallow nondescript combination of canoe and european boat with its captain the patron and crew six in all myself and my little girl with the four gentlemen making the boat full we started with a good light wind the sunrise ripple and dancing glitter were on the waves it was as cool as it can be at only eight degrees from the equator and though we were rather hungry yet we were so pleased to be skimming along homeward that the annoyances of the past day dropped away after a little while however one of the gentlemen asked the patron why he did not bear down toward panama we were running north of it supplemented by gestures he made himself understood the crew understood also and it was not good to see the almost insolent look of amusement on their faces they were masters of the situation and had their plan evidently the patron was civil enough and made a plausible answer which could not be contradicted though it was not believed something about the currents and tacking but all the same the fair wind was being wasted and the good breeze which should have taken us back as we came in about two hours began to drop then failed us completely it was clear now they intended to keep us out as long as possible probably to get pay for two days in place of one in wrongdoing and crime it is remarkable how often the first motive is so small and foolishly short-sighted and how surely unforeseen events get away with the original plan and lead to worse than was intended once you begin to disorder the straight lines of right there is no seeing where the tangle may end we all comprehended that the men intended something wrong to let them know we saw through them would be to put ourselves in a humiliating position we must appear to hold our position of authority we could not confer on this but had to act on instinct for the patron knew enough english to follow the meaning of our talk and it was every way best to assume he was telling the truth when he affected regret and talked again of the current setting in shore and that he must work down along the shore he now made a great display of activity taking down the drooping sails and putting the crew to their long oars they made much racket but not much progress and it was all directed to the shore it did not do for us to be too silent i suggested this in a roundabout way which meant nothing to an ignorant mind saying something about not wearing our hearts upon our sleeves which suggested my proposing we should talk in appropriate quotations the commissioner was a devoted shakespearean and maintained that the bible and shakespeare make a complete library and the surveyor was quick-witted enough for any such game it was surprising how this exercise of memory carried off the heavy time our intent thinking 
then the sudden dramatic speech with as sudden laughs of applause quite misled the crew seeing us apparently gay and careless they might well think we were without anger or fear but we were awfully anxious and the fierce sun was sharp on our heads when the gentlemen made an awning over me of one of the sails the men began by looking angry then demanded it should be taken down they said it made it too hard for them to row against when there was no breeze at all a dead calm but it had to come down i could only wet our handkerchiefs over the side and put them under our straw hats where they dried so quickly as to keep me repeating this often and now we were both thirsty and hungry with absolutely nothing to eat or drink the crew had their rice and bananas but they did not offer even a banana to the child though we had given them a feast the day before the little creature would not let us ask anything for her i can go to sleep she would answer i will not touch their things but the little face grew pitifully strained and flushed a favorite quotation with the commissioner always had been the thrice as he armed that hath his quarrel just he now repeated it with a melancholy shake of the head and i'd give my kingdom not for a horse but for a colt which roused a laugh and an echo from the others oh for our colts for there was not a pistol among them it was fortunate there could be no such display of resentment the patient cunning of these people was best met in their own way they rode very fitfully and in a slack noisy way never really getting down to their work i could make out they were expecting to be bribed into activity and they calculated on a rising scale what they should ask they counted on the heat on our hunger and thirst to get it more and more of that stream of coin the americans were pouring among them they commented on the fine gold watches my helpless countrymen consulted so often and they made sure the senora would soon be very ill muy enferma they made long rests from rowing when like the ancient mariner we were idle as a painted boat upon a painted ocean so idle that the big pouched foolish-looking pelican quietly rocked on the glassy water alongside and filled its ungainly pouch with little fish then down would swoop the man-of-war hawk poised overhead and carry off the fish as the pelican was gulping it into its market-bag of a pouch the child was greatly interested by this though filled with pity for the little fishes torn between the birds and many porpoises rolled close to us attracted by the boat we had between drifting and rowing neared a flat sandy shore with trees beyond the crew intended we should land so we preferred to land exaggerating the relief it was to stretch ourselves after long hours of sitting cramped on the narrow seats the men made a little fire cooked their rice and were comfortable insects in millions drove us back from the trees to the glaring bare sands but we had our umbrellas and wet handkerchiefs and here we could speak freely we talked of the situation 
the breeze would only rise again with the moon that was fixed what was also fixed as fate was the rise of the tide which would turn soon after the moonrise and there lay a terrible danger which we all clearly knew panama bay has a long series of cruel reefs extending out for three miles nothing anchors within that three-mile limit for the tide rises twenty-six feet the tremendous ramparts built by the early spaniards to resist this mighty tide are forty feet from base to top where a smooth wide terrace crowns the ramparts as they follow the indentations of the shore it is built in the old spanish way of defensive works strongly buttressed and with frequent large embrasures in the immensely thick wall where long old guns were still to be seen some dropped from their decayed mounting made seats for those watching from this terrace the great sight of us americans of such a tide this esplanade surrounds the town on its water face and is one promenade and breathing spot in the old closely built and tropically unclean town of panama where the chain gang and vulture crows were the only sanitary agents just before sunset one met there all the better sort of residents and foreigners and there crowded the americans who always hoped to see the ship that would take them off it had an endless fascination for me who had never before seen a walled town or lived by the sea to go back there and look far down and out on the bare jagged far-stretching reefs or see the sea come swelling in high and dashing foam rising so fast and high over the long reef and mounting up the side of the lofty lookout a majestic and awful sight that never lost its impress of man's helplessness before nature's might now i was to see this from below from those dangerous reefs from a frail native boat manned by not too friendly native indians and in the night time when moonlight makes such misleading appearances when we were back in the boat fairly committed to this ordeal shakespeare was no longer a help and pastime we were honestly quiet and serious even the crew now rowed well in silence with steady long strokes that told and when the wind rose they were quick and silent in shifting sail to catch every favoring turn their lives too were at stake they knew the water gate the one breach in the huge wall was always closed at the rising of the tide to a certain height after that any unlucky late boat was dashed against the solid wall the commissioner had had a quiet talk with the patron and told him if he got us in early he would take him up to the hotel and give him a good reward for himself and a gratification for his men now all was done that man could do to better the case but it was a long row and only a languid wind came up with the moon and we had still the whole reef between us and the town long after the time calculated upon the crew were doing their best threading skillfully the little channels forming already between beds of rock feeling their way in step by step to the best point for a final push to the water gate 
when the tide should have lifted us high enough to clear the rocks. If you know sea life, you can imagine the certain risks of all this. Working along this way, we neared a ledge higher and rougher than those behind us. The lines of water were growing fuller and broader, but this broken ledge still rose jagged and bare. Then the surveyor, Mr. Gray, said he was going to get off there and make his way by aid of that higher ledge to the end of the long wharf, about a mile. It was impossible for a boat to follow that shorter way, but by jumping and wading, perhaps even at some places swimming, he thought he could get into the town more quickly than we could, and have the water gate kept open for us, have lights put there to guide us, and on the rampart above the gate also. During the long detention in Panama, he had studied the formation of this bay, and knew it fairly well by charts and by sight, and felt sure he could work his way to the wharf which was built out on this higher ledge. Anyway, he would try. It was a race with the tide which might have already filled some of the deeper chasms, but he must try. He would not sit helpless and let us drift with the tide, which was frothing high behind us, sending us forward with sudden swells, then pulling us back to be shot forward again. The patron, familiar with these reefs, cried out against his going, It could not be done. He would be cut off by deep water in channels. There was no swimming against the wash of the tide. He would have falls, and anyway his feet would soon be too cut for him to walk. But he would go. The crew held the boat alongside a rock he could step upon, and we were borne away from him as he stood a moment waving his hand to us, a brave young figure on its pedestal of rock surrounded by seething waters, the Indians crying out, Le va murir, he goes to die. But we called, God keep you, then settled down to our fate. As I am living, you know we did get in safely. There were horrified, sickening moments when we were urged forward by the tide rush, and the Indians put out all their skill to prevent the boat from upsetting. But soon the waters were so high they were able to row to more advantage. It was a long time. Then came the sudden flare of the light low down on the towering wall, that told the gate was lighted, and quickly more lights leaped up above. Our hearts swelled with joy that Mr. Gray was safe, and thanks for our own safety. As we shot through the slimy tunnel of the water gate, its doors were clanged to, and we were again on firm ground and in the midst of friendly helping people. It was quite midnight, the night of Good Friday, and the streets were filled with people, the upper classes as well as the Indians, carrying lighted candles and making cries of distress. It was their realistic way of interpreting the disappearance from the tomb. Their custom was to make search in this way, and until morning the lamentation and search would be kept up. The cathedral was on our way to the hotel, and we turned in there to see this strange exhibition. 
at the entrance was a scenic representation of the tomb now empty surrounded by life-size wax figures of the group of sacred history and the guarding angels the indians crowded up looked into the empty tomb and broke into cries of distress then scattered candle in hand joining the crowds in the streets at sunrise all this was to change into noisy demonstrations of joy and a life-size wax figure of the christ restored to life would be displayed at the altar meantime the cries of so many people acting on nerves already strained quite upset our commissioner he was at the end of his patience with indians looking up the narrow streets of old wooden buildings with their overhanging balconies all dried to tinder by time and sun he growled out they will set the old town on fire and we will only be out of the sea into the fire but nothing happened to break the deep sleep which was the best restorer after such exposure and anxiety nor did any ill effects follow the patron came with us to the hotel and was made glad by his promised reward also he was reported to the authorities next day and by them promptly put in the dreaded chain gang himself and his crew i was overruled in asking for mercy for they had worked beautifully at the last but it was held that in proper care of other travelers they must have their lesson which they learned less at their ease than when they kept us in the hot sun while they idled and smoked and ate their rice and bananas and made their jokes on our hunger the chain gang is a useful institution common to southern places where people who have deserved punishment are locked to a long chain and in this way made to clean the streets or do some public work it carries shame as well as punishment and the patron was in his way a man of importance but he had deliberately put us in great danger from which we might not have come out but for mr gray's risking his life he had the will and he made the way to secure our safety it was a bold and risky adventure he only knew the reefs by charts and as they looked by daylight to follow this ledge by moonlight with a twenty-six foot tide chasing him was what is called foolhardy if one fails but heroic if successful he had had to wait chances to get across depressions nearly neck deep in surging water both hands and feet were badly cut for he had to climb and cling fast to sharp jags of rock and he was all bruised and rolled by heavy washes of the tide but he won through to the panama people he was a wonder they knew what he had risked and we were proud of our young countrymen and deeply grateful for we felt that to him we owed our lives end of chapter 3 recording by roger moline